The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspire Us. Have you ever wondered what a conversation between a former detective and former mobster would sound like? Well, you don't have to think for too much longer because you're about to find out. I get to talk to Ori Spado, a former mobster who changed his life around and now is helping so many people. His story is one of great interest in that he reminds us that no matter what our circumstances are, we can always turn things around for the better by making those decisions and those choices to move forward in a better way. And that's exactly what Ori has done. And now he is helping so many people with their lives. I am going to introduce you to my next guest, Ori Spado. Hello, Ori, and welcome to Inspire Us. Good morning. How are you, Paul? How's everything today? You know what, Ori? Everything is going well. I wanted to start our podcast off by welcoming you because I met you and my audience is going to say again, you met somebody on Clubhouse. I absolutely did. I met you in a room and you've got quite an interesting background and it makes for a great conversation. A former hostage negotiator, detective, talking to a former, well, why don't you tell us what you, why don't you tell us about your past? Well, my past, I, uh, you know, I, uh, I was born in upstate New York, not far from you guys. Uh, and a good home, mom, dad, two brothers, three sisters. Uh, my father earned $35 a week. We had a garden, you know, we had organic before organic was known <laughs> back mm. in those days. Uh, I grew up in rural New York, ended up joining the Army at the age of 18. Saw other parts of the world. Uh, but my dad was ill when I got out of the Army. I went back to Rome and I ended up in the insurance business. I became a leading agent for the Prudential Insurance Company, a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable, and eventually my own insurance agency. And until my first indictment in 1978, 79, out of Syracuse, New York, and I lost my insurance license. And slowly but surely, I was meeting different people in La Cosa Nostra. I met Frank Costello, Meyer Lansky, Russell Buffalino, Carlo Marcello, countless of others, uh, to eventually I met Sonny Frances. And Sonny and I became close friends. He was the underboss of the Colombo crime family in New York. We became friends for over 40 years until his death about a year ago uh, at the age of 103. And then 
Out here in Los Angeles, I was close with the underboss, Jimmy Kachi. So I was like in between two underbosses. It was sort of a funny situation. I can remember the argument, Sonny, you're with me, fuck Jimmy Kachi. Jimmy saying, fuck Sonny Francais, you're with me. <laughs> I would say, listen, guys, I'm with nobody. I'm with me. You know, I don't belong to nothing. I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy who never even joined any clubs. You know what I mean? But uh, it went well. Uh, I turned down my button twice. And uh, thank God I did. I ended up getting indicted 2008 on a RICO indictment out of Brooklyn, New York with Sonny and a bunch of other guys. Went away, I served my time, got out and I changed my life. Uh, when people ask me why, I, you know, my answer, Paul, is everything I'd done in my life was my destiny. I think it was laid out before I got here. It was meant to be, I lived it. I take full responsibility for everything I ever done, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think everything led me up to what I'm doing today. Uh, the Los Angeles Tribune has a uh, magazine coming out next month. I'm on the front cover from Accidental Gangster to Accidental Humanitarian. I'm doing my part and what I can do to try to make this world a better place. Ori, that is a powerful story, and uh, I, I want to clarify a few things for some uh, of our listeners who may not be familiar with the names that you gave. Um, you were talking about mobsters and uh, different, um, you know, crime uh, crime syndicates, uh, right. and and you were friends with these with these competing uh, crime syndicates. If I'm if I'm correct, would that be an accurate? Uh, that be an accurate account we're really competing you know okay. everybody was working together you know what i mean you know you would work with people in other families of that nature uh, you know it's uh it's a business uh and everybody it's a different business than you it's not a glamorous business like they show in the movies it's nothing like that there right today you gotta wake up every morning Okay, you got to hustle, you got to figure out how you're going to scam a dollar here, who you're going to rob, who you're going to con, what are you going to do? And then you got to all do that under the watch eye of people like yourself. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So, I mean, then, I mean, it becomes an art how to dodge them, how you really dodge them, and there's no way to beat. Uh, the people in your position, anybody who thinks they can, they got another guest coming. 1997, an FBI agent said, I will see the day you are chained, shackled, put on Con Air, and brought to Brooklyn. That was 1997. Mm. 2008, June, he made it a reality. It happened, just as he said, 11 years later. So anybody who's got an idea about going into a life of crime, I'd like to tell you right now, don't. 
because they got the time, they got the manpower, they got the equipment, you will not beat them. Right, right. So the picture here is that there are these crime families that you were working with. For how many years were you working with them, Ori? Over 40. Wow. All right. So you named some pretty powerful people. And you're right. It's not all like the movies and televisions depict. And I know that from police work, too. I mean, there are some there are some real accurate movies out there. We both know that. But on the one hand, you were working for these crime figures, these, these mobsters. Uh, in, and this was all in New York, was it? No. no. I I've been out here in Los Angeles for over 40 years. Ah, okay. And I, uh, I became known as the Hollywood Sixer. Uh, I handled a lot of issues between celebrities, studios, agents, lawyers things of that nature. Uh, I always had a motto, I could do more with my brain than I can with a gun. Right, right. Now, what kind of things were you fixing then, uh, Ori? What, what, uh, can you give us an example of some of the things that, that you would be called upon to fix? I had one situation, a uh, uh, very famous uh, action movie star, uh, producers were holding up $2 million of his money with uh, international creative management. I had to sit down with the producers, iron things out to get the money released, which I did. Uh, the, uh, I began with Dino De Laurentiis and Ralph Serpe. Uh, they were filming a movie. The actor was, lead actor was given the director a hard time, causing the film to go behind budget. I went on the set, had a discussion with the actor, let him know that he's the actor, that the other guy's the director, and I expect him to do his job as he's supposed to and stay out of the director's way. And we resolve that issue. Things like that there, sometimes every, uh, you know, uh, Sometimes you read about a big nasty divorce and then you don't hear about it again. More than likely I went in and remedied the situation uh, because the last thing people want in this town is bad publicity. So I was the guy that stopped a lot of it. Wow, okay. And so I'm getting the picture here and I, I'm, I'm certain that uh, our listeners are as well. You're the fixer. You go in and you you have these conversations, and I would imagine some of them get pretty intense, and you might have to use some violence. Would I be would I be correct, or at least a threat of violence? Would that be correct? You know, with my voice, my looks, and the way I'm able to put my words together when I'm talking to somebody, they know that you know. Even though I might be there alone. They know I got an army behind me. Right. I never have to say it. I never really, literally, eh, maybe a couple of people I who you know put it, certain things into words. That if they didn't stop something that they were doing, then perhaps something could happen. Right. 
Right. And you know what? Yeah, yeah. And that would be very consistent with some of the films that we've seen where a conversation, a fixer like yourself is talking with someone, making it very clear if things don't go a certain way, there could be something that would result uh, from their uh, lack of cooperation, if I may. Uh -huh. I really like what you what you said a little bit earlier. You talked about a 1978 uh, conviction uh, and a 2008 uh, conviction, and I'd like to get into that in a moment. But what I really liked about what you said, Ori, and what you're doing is that you took full responsibility for the things that you've done. And that is an example, a true example of someone who is stepping up and saying, you know, I'm taking accountability and I'm changing my ways, which is what you're doing. You have so many followers now, uh, people who admire the fact that you made that change and that you are an example. You call yourself the accidental gangster. How did that play on words, accidental gangster? How, do, how did you come up with that? Well, it's a good question, and I'm asked that often. And, you know, all my life I've been an avid reader, ever since I was a child. Uh, I could remember on Saturday going to the library. I read more books than anybody else. I got more stars on my paper than I read too many books. And to this day, I still read every every night. I still read. Um, that's just a book. I read books that take me out of the zone. You know what I mean? In prison, I read over three hundred books. Mm. And you know, you got nothing to do when you're in prison except time. And I walk the yard and average seven miles a day. And I, uh, you know, would think, and I said, if I ever wrote a book, you know, I thought, I think about my life and, you know, and that there, and I came up with the accidental gangster, not dreaming I ever would read a book. I'll write a book, rather. Uh, but yeah, when I got out of prison, I had dinner with my uh, entertainment lawyer at the Four Seasons, and uh, I told him people were approaching me, want to do a reality show, this and that. He looked at me and he says, write a book. I know your story. We'll get the movie made. I said, how do I write a book? I never wrote a book. You should find a co-writer. Well, all the writers I know out here in Hollywood are script writers. There's a big difference between writing a book and writing a script. Well, I just decided I should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted the words, when the people read them, that they heard my voice in them. And so I began. And I've accomplished that goal. Uh, and the book is doing extremely well. I'm a two-time bestseller. I'm very proud of that. And there's a lot of good things, positive things happening. And I try to keep my mindset at all times in a positive mode. Be grateful for the things that I do have. And I don't even think about things that I don't have. Yes, exactly. The past is the past. And we all have the incredible opportunity of choosing whether or not we leave it behind and we start something new, which is exactly what you've done. 
And I believe that that is what inspires so many people who follow you. And congratulations on your book. I know from experience myself, having written uh, my first book, I've I've got three written already, but uh, my first one, I was exactly where you are right now or where you were uh, thinking to myself, where do I start? I don't know how to write a book. And you're right. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. And and we just jump into it. We just do it. So that's amazing. Um, In 1978, what were you convicted for? 11 counts of mail fraud. 10 counts of mail fraud, one count for stopping payment on a check. <laughs> okay. All right. And what about uh, your 2008? Uh, it was for uh, RICO, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization. I'm sure you know about that law. Yes. Um, they had two predicate acts. One was a home invasion robbery, and the other one was distribution to uh, a conspiracy to distribute 50 kilos or more cocaine, which was something that I never dreamed of. It was all made up by a confidential informant, uh, which they eventually dismissed that charge and offered me a plea deal of 97 to 110 months, which I turned down several times, but eventually took it. And I got blessed in court because when I went to court for sentencing, the judge sentenced me to 60 days on the robbery, which was supposed to be 37 months. But he only gave me 60 days. And as I was standing there, and then he looked at me and he said, Mr. Spadel, my hands are tied by Congress. I have to give you 60 months on the 924C gun charge. So your sentence is 62 months. Now, that was really good. I mean, you know, uh, but that's another thing that I'm, I'm getting behind the prison reform rule and things are changing the laws because I don't feel Congress should be telling judges what they got to sentence people to. Why do you have judges? I firmly believe that if it were not for that minimum mandatory sentence, the judge would have released me with time served. Mm. Which back in the days, you know, happened so often. Now, you know, you're tying the hands of judges and telling judges what they got sentencing people to. Well, let's do away with judges. You want to do away with police? Get rid of the police, get rid of the uh, judges, and you know, and you're going to have a big war on your hands. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that. I, you went from accidental uh, gangster to, as you put it now, accidental hu- humanitarian. But um, there's no accident in, in the choices that you're making right now to help serve people. What is it that you're doing uh, as far as the humanitarian work, Ori? Well, well, one thing, you know, in the United States alone, there's over 54 million people. They go to bed each night starving. Uh, That should not happen. I'm uh, lending my voice uh, to uh, food finders out of Long Beach. They've been in business over 30 years and uh, feeding the poor. 
you know, be a spokesman for different companies. I ask for everybody to reach out, hold each other's hands, and together we all can make this world a better place. But it's going to take us all. We can't count on our politicians in any country we're in, and especially here in the United States. It's up to the people to do it. It certainly is. And what a great message to, to deliver. And what you're doing right now, this is what you're doing, is, is you're sharing this message that we are all in this together and that together we can make a difference. And you're absolutely right. It takes the participation of every human being out there to help one another because what you're doing, if helping to feed the hungry and everything else that you're standing for, I really admire what you're doing, Ori, and I thank you for becoming that humanitarian. Uh, what you're doing is very appreciated by so many people. So thank you for that. As we close, if you had some advice to give to all of our listeners, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give them is wake up in the morning in a positive attitude and try to do nice for somebody. Each day you either go in a grocery store, a drugstore, or wherever you go, know somebody's name. Hey, good morning, Paul. How are you doing today? How's the family? Right. You know how big that is when you remember people's names and you say something like that, you put a smile on their face. It's yes. a simple little thing. People got to understand it's a simple thing that we could each all do to make this world a happier, better place. When it's all in the mindset. Yes, it is the mindset. It is a matter of choice. You're absolutely right. Just a smile, a good morning, how are you? To really genuinely ask someone how they are and not to have it a robotic thing. Hello, how are you? That doesn't work. Right. But a genuinely sincere smile, as you said, if you can remember a person's name, that's beautiful. That's music to their ears. And to genuinely ask how they are may brighten their day because we don't know what people are going through, do we? We don't know what, no, we don't know what they're carrying on their shoulders and what, you know, what traumas they're going through because everybody is going through a hell. We just got to support each other. Ori, I am going to encourage everyone to, uh, to, pick up your book. It's, uh, it's a great read. And I'm going to leave your website in our show notes so that people know how to reach you, know how to uh, go to your website, theaccidentalgangster.com, and they can reach out and uh, support you as you do some magnificent work for the world. And I thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. God bless you. God bless you, sir. All right. I'll see you on Clubhouse. I'll see you on Clubhouse. Take care now. You Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.